This evening I would like to speak about perspectives and their relevance, if any. And just before speaking about that, I would just uh, like to um, speak for a moment about uh, literature. And as we know in this world, there is a vast, vast wealth of literature available to us. And there is a tremendous outpouring of literature in various fields which interest us and are important to us. And some of you may well know of what is generally referred to as the the Pali Canon and particularly the Pali Suttas. And these, Suttas means talks, these are the talks which the Buddha is reputed to have uh, given some two and a half thousand years ago. And altogether they make some 20 volumes exploring many areas of life, both our relationship to the world around us and the relationship to ourselves and the meditative inquiry and all that is implied in that. And for myself, I have... uh, one might say, I've had a very a sustained love affair with this um, body of literature. And I don't know of any other literature, contemporary literature, which compares really with the, the depth of perspectives and insights which are available, available, for, available for humankind. And these, um, this body of literature, and, and though not, often not easy to read in the translations and in the English language, I feel that could be a very useful and valuable resource, has possibilities for reflection and inquiry, and can help to shed light and present us with new perspectives. And, there, and in, with regard to that, in terms of practices and seeing things afresh and seeing things anew, when we come to the present situation, there's a similar kind of process which is at work. And I would say, what happens in our contemporary situation in terms of seeing, understanding, uh, realization, that frequently there's an emphasis, and I'm speaking of retreats and workshops and other similar formats, in which, as I described on the opening evening of this retreat, Three major activities are taking place. One, the evening talks. The second, the actual meditation practice itself. And third, the small group meetings and discussions or the one-to-one interviews. And sometimes, with regard to our listening, which all has a purpose of shedding light on things, that 
The listening is used and can be used quite usefully and fruitfully towards a contribution to actually enhancing the meditation. So one listens, one listens to the variety of uh, instructions which are given, the methods, the techniques, and all of this serves for us as a certain kind of pointer towards the actual practice, the meditative practice, and seeing into ourselves and going deeper into ourselves. And so what we experience in the present is a certain emphasis on the meditation practice frequently, and the interviews, the group discussions, and the listening to the evening Dharma talk being frequently regarded as a support to aid that inner work, that inner meditative process. And this is a certain kind of perspective on the relationship to the retreat, but I would say, both from experience, having had this enormous privilege over the last ten years of conducting retreats and the great undying joy of speaking or endeavouring to speak, uh, to speak about the nature of things, the nature of reality. That over this um, peri- period of time, it seems to me that frequently this perspective actually um, is, an Im- is in a state of imbalance. And though it may be useful to regard the outer events outside of yourself as a pointer towards deeper Um, meditation, I would say that much understanding, let us say an equal amount of understanding or whatever, emerges through any of the three vehicles which are at work, listening, meditation and uh, dialogue. And particularly with, with the listening, in the receptivity, in the giving of total attention to what is, be said, is being said, sometimes within that interaction which is taking place between us, something is said which touches and it touches deep. And sometimes within that listening, we don't know, sometimes we don't even have any idea just how deep something has gone. And it's got nothing to do especially with the, the tone or the person who is speaking, but it's like there's a certain kind of readiness and uh, r- ripening and mutual re- receptivity. Mutual goes both ways. And in the listening, there can be sometimes a spontaneous understanding which takes place. And... The marvellous and, and central thing about this, I would say, is that that can occur and the person's meditation practice may in fact be all over the, over the shop, totally confusing, disorganised and hurly-whirly. And, and therefore one feels my meditation practice has no depth to it and I'm getting any, anywhere and there's hindrances and obstacles and ups and downs within it. And yet, within the, the, shall we say, the format of actually 
listening taking place, something registers, it registers very deeply and it has one's experience uh, the emergence or the flowering of understanding. And that can be at many levels, so we say, many, many depths, including the, the fullness of understanding of the heart's liberation. And when one turns one's attention back to the, the, uh, the suttas, these are the early talks of the, of the Buddha, and all the variety of themes which he explored within himself and uh, with others throughout the 45 years of his uh, uh, teaching or communicating or serving of the Dharma to others. Frequently there are these refer- references that in the actual dynamic of listening and of that total attention there, there was that emergence of uh, liberating understanding, shall we say. And, and in fact, there are far more references to that than within the context of medit- formal meditation itself. And so it seems, seems to me that each area of, uh, of practice and exploration and receptivity is certainly equally as important, valuable as a means towards understanding, and valuable for direct understanding right here, right now. And sometimes perhaps within that we, we put and maybe judge ourselves a little bit too harshly, meditatively speaking, that we're not going uh, deep enough, we're not progressing far enough, we're not doing as well as we expected, and all of that emphasizes within that a certain kind of time orientation and a certain expectation upon ourselves about where we should be on the, what I can't even, don't even know anymore, fourth or fifth day of this uh, retreat, or before, or anyway. <coughs> In this emphasis on uh, uh, awareness, self-knowledge, insight and understanding, we may say, and I think um, necessarily there, that a function of the practice is to come out of the unskillful, unsatisfactory perspectives that we have about ourselves and situations and others, and be able to find within ourselves new or developing ways of looking which feel and are sensed to be more appropriate and skillful. So what we're saying within the context of our meditation, that we're working to bring about change within ourselves which gives us more space to look in other ways than those unsatisfactory ways that we look at things. Now when we look at, (coughs) pardon me, 
When we look at ourselves and we, we make a, a, a simple um, um, explanation or, the, or division of ourselves, we say, right, there is, as is done traditionally, quite a useful device, there is uh, the body, and then there are these mental aspects, feelings, perceptions, that's the ability to recognize, um, tendencies and patterns, including the thought realm and uh, consciousness. And we say that this is what composes a human being. This was what makes us up. And within what makes us up, we have I, me, the sense of I, me, have a relationship with this field called mind-body. And in that we may say we um, become more aware or we observe, we, as we have been doing, the breathing or the body, we observe our feelings and the intensification of feelings called emotions. We observe what we see, hear, smell, taste, touch, the, per the perceptional faculty. We observe our patterns and our tendencies wholesome and beneficial and otherwise, and we become aware of our state of consciousness. So in, the, in, this, in this area, there are these events which are taking place, and we may say to each one of these, body, feelings, emotions, perceptions, and so on, there is a kind of relationship to them. In that, when we look at this mind-body totality of, of, our, of ourselves, there's a consideration, and it's a very important consideration. One is with regard to the condition of what we are looking at, and the other is with regard to the relationship to the condition. This is, you know, and sometimes I realize it's a, a long day for people. <laughs> and, uh, and trying to follow the, the, these things. And please, you know, um, no, if you completely space out in the talk, nobody will know. You know, it's okay. <laughs> so there is the condition of what is happening in the mind-body activity. And there is a relationship to it. And both are obviously for consideration. We might say, oh, but with the body, what can you do with it? You know, it's, this is how it is. But in fact, we, we well know that we can make, we can look at the relationship to it, and we can make, within limitation, certain changes to, to the body. We can change it with regard to posture, we can affect it through health, through exercise through uh, uh, diet, through being in touch with, and so forth. So the object itself, in this case body as an example, can actually undergo some changes because we've given ourselves time to look at it. And in that, the relationship to it can change as well. Sometimes the relationship to it is complete grasping, full identification with it, with a great deal of, shall we say, tightness 
and that's really what it is, tightness around the body. This can show itself in, uh, in the forms of clinging and obsession, it can show it, itself in, in fear, it can show itself in confusion about, etc., etc. So there is the, the body, and we notice that sometimes the relationship to it is very, un, very unsatisfactory. So we say we have to look at the body, and we have to look at how we are with regard to this extraordinarily life-bringing, life-emerging, life-expressing phenomena, B-O-D-Y. In that relationship to it, and sometimes it's complete, there's an identification. It may not be gross in its grasping, but in its character, it's still identification with when we say in conventional language, I am tall, short, fat, thin, white, black etc. And there is complete identification with it and sometimes in the connection with the body the very relationship changes and there's a possessive factor, my body. And we go back in both language and in experience frequently between one and the other. And the very movement of the way we look at the body or regard it from one and the other to all intents and purposes, makes both of them somewhat ineligible, somewhat unsatisfactory, somewhat incorrect. <coughs> and sometimes we see with our, with our meditation that the I idea, or my idea, and that's all it is, it's just a, an idea which has been given reality, it doesn't seem appropriate, and sometimes, without any sense of rejection or avoidance, ah, there is body. There is this body sitting here. There is this body breathing. There is this body expressing life. And so we might say that in that, the, to some degree, the practice is gaining a fresh perspective, in that fresh perspective we let drop, we let fade away as much as our understanding will allow this I, which is identification with, and my, which is possession of, with regard to what is observed. Yet there's no trace of withdrawal, no rejection what, at all, and in fact, in not being I and my orientated, it brings out a whole new depth of awareness and sensitivity, which I and my actively blocks, blocks it. So there's the working with the in this case the bodily form, there is the relationship to it, that relationship gives a fresh perspective. Be being willing to explore fresh perspectives. And just as it is with body, it also applies with emotions, it applies with perceptions, it applies with the patterns of mind, it applies with the, the state of consciousness. Now in that process, and looking at the, the connection with ourselves and, and actually how we 
view, to, view ourselves. It's not that one can be of those can be totally isolated from the other because it's a composite whole, like five pieces in a jigsaw together, and one affects the other. So sometimes with feelings which arise and frequently, we all frequently experience, we don't have to go on a meditation retreat to experience our feelings and our, and our emotions. When there's some intensity with them, which means the patterns and the habits and the old memories and all, and all of that is influencing our um, feelings and images which are arising, the tendency, the first thought one might say is, I want to get rid of this. When it's painful, mind doesn't want this present. And so the immediate reaction that we experience is not so much to look at the relationship to it, it's to go to the thing and see what can I do to negate, undermine, get shot of this as quickly as possible. And when it doesn't go, one goes to bed. <laughs> in the hope that in the following morning all will be better and the sun will shine. <laughs> So in, in this, if we forget the fresh perspectives which are available to us, then we get preoccupied with just making it better, making it easier for ourselves. And what sometimes we don't understand with regard to that, that the very desire to improve it, you know, very human thing to do, to get things easier, is an actual pressure on the event which is taking place. It's actually, in some way or other, very easily feeding into it. And in that, therefore, we look at the perspective, fresh perspective. We look, we look at, in fact, how we are viewing something. And for that to take place, to some degree or other for us, there needs to be some amount of space. And this, self-evidently, is where the meditation practice comes in, where being mindful comes in, where just learning to observe. All, all of that helps to get a little bit more relaxation, a little bit more space, so that when something is coming up, which is troubling as a fact, there's, there's sufficient space there to see it. Now, in that, shall we say, um, or, uh, uh, inclusive activity of learning to see and get a fresh perspective on, there are various ways which are useful to work with that. And one of them is simply to see, to be aware of its changing. Very easily when we're caught up with the, the this desire to uh, free ourselves from, in the moment that we're fixed with that um, movement of mind, we can't see, either at its gross level or at its subtle level, that right here and now it's actually undergoing change. 
There's too much pressure inside of us to, to, to see it when it's happening. And sometimes, when one is seeing, observing something which is difficult, which is changing, the very observation, that means a fresh pers perspective of seeing change right here, right now with the fact, means it creates enough space for an extra upsurge. So, in other words, frequently one thinks, right, or sees, I can see this change, I can see this is coming and going, I can see it doesn't have a consistency to it, and it's as though the mind comes right up through with even more to actually have to face as though to discredit this seeing of impermanence or change or whatever. Mind is a remarkable capacity for humiliating ego. <laughs> <laughs> So, one begins through the process of the in, inner work and the seeing of changes which are taking place to know one's perspective on and, and in a way in which is so the resources which we have through the observation means we are able to have a certain kind of preparedness. Preparedness to deal with what life shows us. And that then constitutes yet another perspective. Not out of fear, not out of withdrawal in any way, but knowing how things come and can come with passion or with potency or can come in a completely unexpected way. And one says, right, this is belongs to life. This is, belongs to all of us. That there's no guarantee of security of, and continuity. None whatsoever. And seeing this as a, as a fact gives, through the observation, preparedness to deal with what we didn't know or barely imagined could take place. Now our seeing and observation of both what it is and how we are, shall we say, with regard to that, means too that this, I think, very important uh, understanding and insight in a very real way of learning to see without taking it so personally. And I think this is when this possessive grasping image, as it were, comes in only from the past, it can't come from anywhere else. It comes from the past and in that communication with that event, mind and body, or outside of oneself, it's like that image of mine, that possessive or that identification with, is in fact simply the shadow which goes over both, shall we say, the subject or, or the observation and the object, and in somehow or other embraces them, brings, brings them totally get together. So, why am I so happy, unhappy? Why am I hurting in my leg, or whatever it might be? It brings them so close, or very close together, rather than seeing them not as two separate things, which is uh, two independent things, which is impossible, but rather 
seeing the just as phenomena, the bare duality of life, the bare actuality of life, that this is what is going on constantly in life. Events and how, how one is relating to them, shall we say. So, in our meditations, being prepared and being alert with regard to the shadow is such that even when the shadow is there, there is clinging, there is grasping, there is identification with, there is assuming this is me or this is what I am, that glimmer of awareness, the beauty of it and within it the liberating quality to it is such that it can shed its light even when it's taking place. So it's not that we, as it were, go in and out of mine and I into not mine and not I and just pure seeing, but simultaneously there can be clinging and, and possessiveness, yet that awareness is revealing this is what's happening right here and now, and the light on the shadow is um, being expressed. In this bundle of uh, what is called the five aggregates, or the composite of, of, of a human being, through the very exploration, which I feel is an intelligent and uh, caring uh, uh, activity for, for a human being, not only, of course, does it help us to contribute to our understanding, and understanding comes out of, out of the mind, and it's the mind which can understand, mind, heart, feelings, depth, all in that field. But similarly, if we're beginning truly to see it's not me and it's not mine and it's not what I am but it's an event which is taking place, then this separation, this division between this expression of life and another human being's expression of her or his life basically and fundamentally isn't actually different. And this means that possessiveness not only is coming out of the, out of the so-called personal, but it's bringing about an empathy and a closeness with humanity. And so it begins to f actually, what becomes, as it were, a way of seeing things, a perspective into life, into this life, becomes also a heart, as much and equally a heart issue. Because in, in this extraordinary way, actually getting deeper and closer to ourselves and the shadow of the past having less import, <coughs> import for us, it brings this connection, it brings this feeling of life with others. And so the insights and understanding which you have and which you know about yourself are the same insights and the same understanding which are directly beneficial 
for countless human beings all across the face of this planet. And the mind is remarkable in its capacity to understand. You know, and we have this as, as human beings living and walking on the face of this earth, this, you know, as it were, un, almost undeserved privilege uh, in the universe of being able to be aware, to be self-aware, to be other-aware, and to effect changes out of that awareness. It's such a rare event that in this vast field of life, and let's, let's, in that regard, let's never forget it. That life is aware of itself. It's, this is awesome, awesome. So in our observation, in our looking at this movement of um, the life activity, we might say, okay, there are these perspectives. There is this fresh or developing, shall we say, ways of looking at any event. And we're just taking mind-body, but it applies to all of life situations, of course. We're just taking it here because we're here practicing, meditating. And in looking at any of these life events, one might say, yes, but surely what you are saying is that's just another perspective. Which it is. It might be a very beneficial perspective because it's helping to see more clearly, it's um, diminishing suffering, it's learning to accept the variety of events in mind-body and learning to feel okay with them as an expression of life, one feels more uh, together with things, etc., etc. But surely all of it is a perspective, or a number of usefully applicable perspectives. A person may say, but where's the truth? Where is the truth in all of this? So, Observe the observation of impermanence is a perspective. It's a particular way of looking at life. The seeing of change, the seeing in a less or non-personal way, in Buddhist language, a non-self way, is a perspective. Seeing the movement of suffering, unsatisfactoriness, satisfaction, and, so, and, and being in touch with the process is a perspective. And so we say, where, where is the truth? Is it that only human beings in the capacity, in this marvellous capacity of heart and mind and the understanding which can emerge out of it, actually in the final analysis can only communicate and express a perspective? And therefore what we actually see in this world is a whole variety of perspectives emerging out of the minds of human beings and some are profitable, beneficial, contribute to intelligence and sanity and love and others of them are destructive. And I wonder whether any human being 
who is concerned with seeing into life and seeing into the nature of things can rest on a balanced and well-grounded relationship with life, both the life of mind-body and the life around, with all the value of perspectives, and say, well, that's as far as one can go. And if one just views it from the standpoint of perspectives and sees it in that way, it's certainly, I would say, extraordinarily valuable in of itself, insofar as it, I think it safeguards us from a great deal of clinging about my way, my view, my perception of things is the true way, the only way, because one has a balanced sense of the diversity of ways that heart and mind can communicate its understanding, within traditions and out of traditions and or whatever. But as I say, somehow or other it seems that there's an unsatisfactoriness despite the psychological and possibly physical health and well-being and real balance about life and the realities of mind, body and all that's all the ways of its manifestation. And so perhaps within that bare duality that I referred to of the observation of events and, and how the event and the observation are interrelated with each other and easily mutually influencing each other. Perhaps we have to look at this, what is called duality, this twosome here, almost with an overview, shall we say. See into this, because our life is built up on this. Every situation is built up on this event. And to see, well, this event with all the valuable perspectives on one side, in fact, is really the way things are. And in that, it's not to take up some other kind of view or to say, that's just another perspective, but rather to explore and inquire through a meditative observation this bare situation. And in this bare situation, being open, let us say, to the possibility that perspective and object themselves are not the major reference point. Not something to build up on. And it's not to take any posture or any position. It's not to say no perspective is the perspective and get into, into all of that. But to see carefully into this, deeply and meditatively, to see what it's saying. And if we understand, if we explore that, it's not that there are a variety of truths. It's not that one is taking up a truth or the, the truth. Dispute and contention and conflict are all totally irrelevant. Meaningless 
words, meaningless thoughts and meaningless opinions. So let's in our meditations and let's in our listening and let's in our small group meetings give that fullness of attention and in that respect paying full respect to humanity and see what emerges out of it. May all beings be in touch with life. May all beings see into the nature of things. May all beings know that which is without measure. 